Okay, we start. Good evening, everybody. So this week we read of the revelation at Har Sinai, the giving of the Asidah had brought the Ten Commandments, and in, in the portion we call Yitra. So the names really are not given by, you know, they're not part of the Torah. The names are after. But we know that uh, Ezra set up the Parshiot, breaking it down into the system that we read now during the course of the year. Apparently before Ezra, they had a system where they read the whole Torah over the course of three years. But once Ezra came, he changed it, and we read each parasha. So he, Ezra, Ezra, Ezra has to there. So Ezra did it for whatever reason. He did it, and he included Yitro in the part of the Aseret Hadibrot. We see also that uh, he's the first one to openly bless Hashem, which is interesting. He gives advice to Moshe on governing the people. He is called the priest of Midian, and the rabbis elaborate that he experimented with every known religion until he came to the realization of the truth in one almighty, uh, one almighty God. The Gemara tells us that Yitro was one of the, the counselors of Parah, along with Bil'am and Iov and Job, when the prophecy was told of the birth of a baby who would redeem the people from slavery. Parah consulted with his advisors. Balaam advocated the destruction of the children. Iyov remained silent, and Yitro defended the children of Israel, which forced him to flee to Midian. And Yitro is also here called the first convert. The portion begins with the words, Vaishma Yitro, Yitro heard. And Rashi asks a question, Yitro heard, what did Yitro hear? So the rabbis tell us he heard, or Rashi tells us there specifically, the two things that Yitro heard that prompted him to get up and come were about the splitting of the sea and the war against Amalek. And what did he come to do? Rashi says he came to convert. Now, we could understand why the miracle of the splitting of the sea would prompt someone to convert, especially Yitro. The rabbis explained that Parod decided to kill the baby boys in the water for a number of reasons. One reason was that Parot understood that the Creator promised never to bring a flood to the world. Since Parot rejected any possibility of individual divine providence, he felt that he had nothing to fear from water. Yitro, who was present when Parot made this decision to throw the boys into the water, finally saw the rationale and he saw midah keneged midah, which means measure for measure. This is better understood in the full statement by the measure that a man measures, they measure to him. However we act, God acts to us. Given the ten plagues and the destruction of all of Egypt at the splitting of the sea, Yitro understood absolutely and without doubt that Hashem the Creator is also running the show and there is detailed divine supervision of every occurrence and every creature. Additionally, as we read each day, Az nifhalu alufe Edom, Edom's chiefs panicked, Ele Moab Yochzemarad, Moab's heroes were seized with trembling, Namogu Kol Yoshve Kenan, all of the residents of Kenan melted away. If ever there was a moment in history when Israel was on top, then that was it. And all this brings us to the question if the reason for his conversion was because Israel was undoubtedly on top at that moment, doesn't the Talmud teach us precisely? At that moment, 
when we're on top, we're forbidden from accepting converts. The rabbis write, we, the Jewish people, will not accept converts in the Messianic era. Similarly, they did not accept converts during the time of King David, nor during the time of King Solomon. Except Solomon's wives. Okay. <laughs> yes, but what, what, the, what the Gemara says is that someone would want to convert in the time of Solomon. They wouldn't accept because it was good to be a Jew, so to say. Some years back, I suggested that perhaps that is precisely why Rashi quotes the second opinion of the Gemara as to what Yitro heard. Rabbi Yeshua says in the Gemara that Yitro heard about the war with Amalek. What's the war with Amalek? Amalek does not attack B'nai Israel in defense of their land or of themselves. The motivation is simple and pure hatred. They have nothing to gain, everything to lose. B'nai Israel were a nation that just experienced an exodus from the world's most powerful nation, and the entire world was in awe of them. Suddenly, without warning, Amalek attacks them. What they accomplished was they cooled down the bath or the hot boiling bath without regard for themselves, their losses, and their own pain. Up until that point, B'nai Israel were viewed as invulnerable and untouchable, but Amalek disproved that attitude to the world by attacking them. The Torah tells us, and he attacked the hindmost of you, all those who were feeble at the back. This is the way of those who hate us, to attack the most vulnerable. And although Moshe sent Yehoshua to battle Amalek while he prayed together with Aaron and Hur, the war ended far short of a sweeping victory. We know that Yehoshua weakened Amalek by the sword, but for the most part, this battle seemed to end in a stalemate. And Amalek would always remain to attack us. My own conclusion, typically I only say what other people say and I never have my own conclusion. So if you don't like it, you don't have to accept it. Is that accepting Judaism based on the miracles of the crossing of the sea is not possible. But tempering the miracles with the reality of Amalek, with the reality of anti-Semitism unafraid to raise its head only days after the crossing of the sea, means that Yitro saw the entire picture. It's not so rosy altogether. Yes, we're the chosen people. Yes, we stood at Sinai and heard the words of the Creator Himself. Yes, Hashem is involved in each of our lives moment by moment. We see in the miracles of our own day the miracles of the Six-Day War and the miracles of building a land. A generation ago, the death knell was heard. The tolling of the bell was impossible to miss. Both Jews and non-Jews predicted the demise of a Torah-observant people. It was all over. You aren't going to have any religious Jews. Yet today we see more people learning than at any other point since the destruction of the temple, probably the first temple. We see more acts of kindness and charity. This is a miracle from Hashem. But we have seen up close what Amalek could do, and still there's Amalek in the world. So when I originally wrote this, I wrote the story about a, uh, a guy who had passed away at the time. His name was David Stolier. And he was uh, from Romania. And he was on a ship called the Struma. The Struma was a ship that had close to 1,000 Jews on it, refugees in 19, or 800 refugees in 1941. They tried to get into a number of different ports. No one would let them in. Turkey held them off of their coast for uh, about three months. Turkish Jews were trying to send supplies. This ship with 800 people had only eight bathrooms, 10 crew members, 
and these people never thought they would be on the ship that long. They each paid $1,000 to board the ship in 1941. When the engine broke, someone came to fix it, but only after everyone gave up their wedding rings. And they're all on this boat. Turkey is neutral. Turkey doesn't know what to do. They don't want to upset the British. They don't want to upset the Germans. So they leave them off of the coast of Turkey for, like I say, close to three months. At one point, they said, you know, enough. And everyone was trying to get involved and convince them to take the people, but they wouldn't take the people. The British wouldn't let them go into the, to the land of Israel because they didn't want to upset the Arabs. And the Turks cut the anchors of its ship that had no engines, and the ship started to float out to sea. A German uh, sub spotted the ship, said there should be no neutral ships because they were afraid that they would be supplying uh, they would be a Soviet sub spotted the ship. They were afraid they would be supplying the Germans. And on February 24th, 1942, a torpedo struck the ship. All 790 people on board died, with the exception of this one guy. What day was February 24th, 1942. With the exception of one guy, one guy survived. Everyone else either died from the explosion, S T O L I A R. He died two years ago, and when he died, the New York Times wrote all about the story. So you see that, this, so, so the bottom line is that, that uh, he, the New York Times wrote, everyone but Mr. Stolier died either in the explosion, by drowning, or from hypothermia. So I closed, I said, Yitro came to convert. True, he heard of the miracles, and had first-hand knowledge of Hashem's divine providence. But he also knew that there's evil in the world, as personified by Amalek, and those who would carry his banner, some who announce themselves as our enemies, but also those who claim to be our friends. It's up to us to change the world, eliminate the evil. So that was the speech. Now, I saw based on the Zohar that there has to be a better answer. Because it's my answer I didn't think is strong enough, even though I think it's a good answer, there has to be a better answer. So the Zohar Kadosh tells us that the Torah adds specifically a parasha. In the Torah, in Yitro's merit, a portion in the Torah in Yitro's merit, bringing the total number of parshiot in the Torah to 275. 275 is the gematria of the word ra'ah. Ra'ah is evil. In order to negate evil in the world, the 275th, which was brought in the merit of Yitro, negates evil in the world. The question is how? It's 275. Paragraphs, parshiot in the Torah. So if you break down the chapters, there are 275 chapters in the Torah. My brother Victor wrote some years back, our freedom from Egypt was dependent upon the humiliation of their deities. This is hinted at in a teaching from the Gemara. You will not find any nation that is smitten whose celestial forces are not smitten along with it. So when you're destroying Egypt, you have to destroy their gods. And a number of times the Torah is telling us, I will destroy their gods, whatever that means. The Zohar adds that these forces must be dealt with first, and only subsequently can the nation associated with that force be defeated. So if there's a Tsar of Mitzrayim, you can't destroy Egypt until the Tsar is destroyed. This is why the Torah states against all the gods of Egypt... I shall mete out judgments. Who are these gods or deities of Egypt that the Torah is talking about? And how were they destroyed? 
How does Israel participate in their downfall? Did any deity survive the exodus? By the teachings of our Chachamim and the commentaries, we hope to identify some of these deities and detail the divine judgments that were meted out against them. So Victor Roy writes a whole very detailed uh, analysis of all the deities of Egypt and how each one is destroyed. But I pulled off of, from the Zohar something a little different. I discussed it with him today, and I want to try it this way. So again, this class is for me to explore also, not just to come and say I know the answer, and sometimes we'll figure it out. So the Pasuk says, Yitro the Kohen Midyan heard, as we said, Rashi says, what did he hear? Kriyat Yamsuf, the war with Amalek. So the question we want to understand, is there, is there something about the war with Amalek? We understand the reasoning behind Kriyat Yamsuf, and Midak and Eged Midah, measure for measure, and the drowning of the babies versus the drowning of the Egyptians. They were punished in a like way. But again, why, why, you know, so we mentioned one of the reasons you could understand the Amalek, because we say that was a negative thing, in fact, and it shows that it's not all rosy to be a Jew. But what do the rabbis say? Why is that reason brought by the, by the, by, uh, by the Gemara? Yeah. Why is it that Yoshua was not able to destroy Amalek? So, so Yoshua could not destroy Amalek at the time because the, the destruction of Amalek would come later on. But we're going to see also. Why, why couldn't Why couldn't We're going to see here. You're going to see, they're going to bring reasoning. We're going to try to understand what's the power and where we're up, up against Amalek to, to destroy. So you say. So the, the Gemara also tells us that Yitro merited adding a passage to the Torah, a chapter to the Torah. The t- chapter of the Torah begins, And you will see, that's the one where he's telling Moses about how to judge the people. This whole chapter where Yitro, the father-in-law, is giving advice to his son-in-law who just left Egypt, who did all the miracles, who crossed the sea, who did everything he's supposed to do. And all of a sudden we see he, he's going to get. He's going to get advice from his father-in-law. Says that his name was one of his names. He has seven names: Reuel, Yeter, Yitro, Chovav, Chever, Keni, Putiel. How many names did Moshe have? Moshe. Somewhere we have seven. Somewhere we have ten. It's interesting because that seven names. The thought, well, remember. So if one is, if we talk about Gilgul, one is Gilgul Kain, one is Gilgul Hevel. One is Cain coming back, one is Hevel coming back. That's one of the reasons that Yitro gives Moshe his daughter. Because the, one of the fights that we say between Cain and Hevel was that Cain was born with one sister as a wife, and Hevel was born with two. And the fight between the two of them was over a woman. So in order to make up for the previous fight, Yitro gives his daughter, Cain, Yitro gives his daughter to Hevel Moshe. <clears throat> um, Moshe is considered the penultimate prophet. Israel would be probably considered the penultimate uh, prophet. So you're going to see that that's that. So that's really what the Zohar is going to bring. So he says that that we have that Yitro, His name was Yeter, and when he converted, Hashem added the Vav Yitro, but Yeter means added. Is extra and Yeter is really because he had it. Yitro ha, has this extra parasha in the Torah for him. So, because 
So now, why would his name get an extra vav? Like we have Abraham gets a hey, Sarah gets a hey, Yehoshua gets a yud. Why does he get the vav? Simply understood, he merited this distinction because he sanctified the name of heaven publicly by renouncing all forms of idolatry when he said, Atayadati, now I know, Ki gadol Hashem mikola Elohim. Because God is greater than all the forces in the world. Here Rashi comments, this teaches us that Yitro was familiar with every single form of idolatry in the world. He did not leave a single form of idolatry that he did not worship. Notwithstanding, it's still incumbent upon us to explain why he merited such a great distinction. The addition of a paragraph in the Torah, a chapter in the Torah specifically for him. So we start with the Zohar Kadosh on Yitro. We learn that Hashem purposely arranged for Yitro to convert and unite with Moshe prior to giving B'nai Israel the Torah. So that's what we talk about. For there is a king and a Kohen in the realm of Kedushah. So on the, let's say, the force and the dark side. On the side of the force, there's a king and a high priest. And on the side of the dark side, on the Klippah, there's a king and a priest. On the side of Kedushah, the king who functions as the king is Hashem. And he reigns over all of creation. The Malach Michael functions as the Kohen who offers korbanot, who offers sacrifices on the Mizbeach in heaven. So you have Hashem and Michael on the right. We learn in the Gemara that the fourth rakia, the fourth firmament, is called something called Zevul. Shevu Yerushalayim, Ubed HaMikdash, Umizbeach, says that it contains Yerushalayim, the Bet HaMikdash, and the Mizbeach. Umichael Hasar HaGadol, and Michael, the great uh, minister, Omer Umakriv Alav Korban. He stands and he brings Korbanot on this Mizbeach. So you have this angel, Michael, Michael, who brings Korbanot. Corresponding, says the Zohar, on the side of the Klipa, Paro is the king. Now we mentioned last week that Paro is the, is, the, is the negative side of Da'at, this negative side of knowledge. He represents the Klipa, the king of the Klipa, or one of the kings of the Klipa, because we see a number of people through history take this role. And who's the Kohen? Yitro. Yitro is the Kohen of the Klipa. As the king of Yitzrayim, he opposed and refuted the sovereignty of Hashem. When Moshe came to Paro, what did he say? Mi Hashem, Asher Eshma Bekolot. Who is Hashem that I should listen to his voice to send B'nai Israel? Lo yadati et Hashem. I did not know Hashem. Paro. Whereas Yitro, the priest of Midian, one of Paro's key advisors, who embraced and worshipped every form of Avodah Zarah, functions as the Kohen of the Klippah. According to the Zohar Kadosh, it was impossible to give Yisrael the Torah until Hashem shattered the king and the Kohen of the Klippah. Until the gods are done, can't do anything. Paro, who refused to recognize the sovereignty of Hashem, was invalidated and subjugated through the ten plagues. Thus, he was coerced into confessing, Chatati apam, I sinned this time. Hashem hasadi, God is the righteous one. Vani ve'ami harishaim. Me and my people are the wicked ones. He says his subjugation was enhanced at Kiryat Yamsuf 
when the entire army was drowned. And as explained, he alone remained alive. So just like you see in the movie, they all die and he's standing on the end and everyone's dead except for him. And the Midrash tells us that he lived many more years. He becomes the king of Ninveh and he has to survive on his own. And why, why did he marry this? <clears throat> he had to survive because, says, he alone remained alive to recount the wonders of Hashem. He was the witness. So says, Says because of this, I've left you standing in order to, in order to show you my power, so that my name may be declared throughout the world. That's what the, the midrash says. Yitro, on the other hand, the priest of Midian was subjugated when he abandoned every form of idolatry. And what does Yitro say? Atayadati. Now I know. Kigadol Hashem. Mikola Elohim. God is greater than all the powers. Further analysis, it's evident that the first king of the Klippah was subjugated involuntarily by means of the Makot and Kriyat Yamsuf. After that, the Kohen of the Klippah, Yitro, submitted voluntarily. So Paro is hit, 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 boom. Yitro, on the other hand, says, I admit, you're right. I see the truth, I admit. Initially, as one of Paro's key advisors, he chose to flee from Paro. This is chronicled by the Gemara. Three participated, like we mentioned, three participated. Bil'am, Iyov, and Yitro. Bil'am, who offered the advice to drown the babies, was killed. Iyov, who remained silent, was subject to afflictions. That's Job. And Yitro, who fled, his descendants merited sitting in the Sanhedrin. Subsequently, he submitted totally by converting and proclaiming, now I know that Hashem is greater than all the gods. In the beginning of the parashah, it says, it says, Vayicharad, right? And then there Rashi says, what did he do? He gave himself a brit milah. He converted there and then on the spot. It says, so it's easy to comprehend why Yitro, the priest of Midian, merited adding a parashah to the Torah. As pointed out above, B'nai Israel could only receive the Torah at Har Sinai after the king and priest of the Klippah of the dark side had been thoroughly shattered and subjugated. Therefore, it was only fitting that he be awarded this tribute. After all, he complied voluntarily with invalidation of the king and priest of Tumah. So it was in his merit that B'nai Israel received the Torah. If you think about it for a second, he's the extreme level of the dark side. And he's able to overcome the dark side. It's almost like saying, well, we have the Nachash and the Klippah of the Nachash of the snake and the snake reforming when we see the story of Eliezer and Eliezer being a Gilgul of the, of the snake and reforming the snake through his actions. So you're taking the extreme, you're taking a guy from the, the lowest level of the pit and he's showing you anything's possible. So this is, why did you draw merit having a paragraph added in the Torah? We refer to the revelation of this Mekubal, Rav Shimshon of Astropoli. Thank you, Gary. He says, he says in Likutei Shoshanim, he remarks that when Paros says, says, Vayomer Alehem, so this is when Paros says to them, sorry, Vayomer, Elohim Yehiken, he says to them, God should be with you. Just like I sent you, and your children, because evil will confront you. 
So what is Paro telling them? Be very careful. If you go out to the desert, who are you going to meet in the desert? Ra'a. What is Ra'a? Ra'a is Ra. Who's Ra? The sun god. The sun god. The god of Paro. Who is Paro? Who is Ramses? The son of... He's Ramses. Ramses is his name. He's the son of Ra. He's as if he's the son of God. So Paro is the son of Ra'a. Ra'a is the god, the greatest god among the Egyptians. That's why he slept. That's why he sleeps. You know the song we said, Paro in the pajamas in the middle of the night. How could he go to sleep? Because he felt that Ra is going to overcome this plague. Ra is, is, the, is the, the sun god. The, the question is, there's six gods of Egypt. We, have to, we could look into that, Victor. But that's one of the gods, Ra. So which one is Ra referring to? Ra is generally referred to as the sun god. Didn't we say last week it was Aries? So Mars and Aries, I think, are associated. Right. Victor has six gods, but I'm not sure if Ra is Aries. I'm not sure, but we'll look at I have the notes in the end. We'll look after. So Paros says to them, I see through my astrological predictions that a star is ascending to meet you in the Midbar, and it is an omen of blood and killing. When B'nai Israel sinned with the Egel, and Hashem wished to, tell, to kill them, Moshe says in his tefillah, Why should Mitzrayim say he took them out in Ra'ah? Moshe is saying to Hashem, Don't let the world say that Ra." That Paroah told you Ra is going to destroy them. Ra really destroyed them. He says, this is the star. Immediately Hashem reconsidered regarding the star Ra. He transformed the blood into the blood of circumcision. And we see later that Yehoshua circumcises them. That's evident from a pasuk. It says, says that, so Rav Shimshon is perplexed. He says, okay, Hashem performed the omen of blood and death. Right? He transformed the omen of blood and death to the blood of Milah. Nevertheless, how did he mitigate the negative effects of Ra? The Midrash says, Kol HaTorah Kula, the entire Torah, Ra'a Perashiot. Ra'a meaning 275. Resh is 200, Ayin is 70, He is 5. There are a total of 275 chapters in the entire Torah. Accordingly, we can suggest that the ill effects of this force, star, God, whatever you want to call it, Ra'ah, is nullified by the Torah's 275 parshiot. So his name is Ra'ah, Reish Ayin Hay, and we have Reish Ayin Hay parshiot, 275. So the 275 nullifies the 275. Moshe says to Elohim, who am I that I should go out of, go to Paro? And Hashem says, I will be with you. And this is the sign that, that I have sent you. When you take the people out of Mitzrayim, you're going to worship Hashem here. So it continues based on the Zohar. It says, the head of the Kalipah of Mitzrayim is Paro. Paro is the head of the negative forces. He possesses, according to the Zohar, 355 forces of Tuma. 355 forces of Tuma. I don't know where the number comes from. It's the numerical value of the name Paro. That's why 355. 275 plus 80. The pay is 80. Reish 200. Right. So it's 355. 
The year of 354, 355. Very good. So we know that Moshe Rabbeinu was 80 years old when he was sent to take B'nai Israel out of Mitzrayim. As the, for the Pasuk, it says, Moshe ben Shmonim Shana. As such, he possessed the capacity to negate the 80, meaning the letter Pei from Paro's name. And what was left? If you take away the Pei from Paro's name, what's left? Ra'ah. So just like his English name or his Egyptian name is Ramses, the name Paro really says who he is. This 355 level of negativity. Moshe at 80 breaks the, the pay, leaving Ra'ah, which is the other 275. Moshe was 80 years old at the time he comes to Egypt. He says, says that as such he possessed the capacity to negate that's what he says. This explains very nicely why Moshe's objection. He says, Mi anochi ki. Mi anochi ki. Mi mem yud is 50. Ki chaf yud is 30. He says, I only have 80 in order to negate the pay. How am I going to negate the power of Ra? Especially Paro is telling him, you're all going to die in the desert. By the power of Ra. And in fact, what happens to every one of them who leaves Egypt? They die in the desert. They die in the desert. It's not like Parod didn't see. It says that Hashem says to Moshe, I'm going to be with you. And this is the sign. When you take B'nai Israel out of Mitzrayim, you'll worship Elohim on this mountain. According to Rashi, Hashem informs Moshe that Israel is destined to receive the Torah on Har Sinai and in the merit of receiving the Torah, which is 275 chapters, they're going to overcome the 275, which is the negativity of, 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 uh, of Ra'ah. So let's go further and see an incredible comment from the Kehillat Yaakov. He says... We see that, that one of the things we have to make in the Mishkan, Vasita Kior Nechoshet. We make a copper Kior. What's a Kior? A wash basin. The term Vasita, you shall make, implies an act of Tikkun. The term Kior is an acronym, he says, for Yesh Kochav Ushemo Ra'ah. There is a star, Ushemo, and the name of the star is. Ra. There's an astrological force called Ra. By means of Nechoshet, the Midrash says, what does that mean? Novlot Chochmah Shelemala Torah. Referring to the wisdom of Torah that trickles down from above. In other words, he's saying, how do you destroy Ra? Via the Ra, the 275 of the Torah. So let's say, uh, uh, suggest an idea. We learn that Yitro was responsible for adding of the perashah to the Torah, this extra perashah. That addition brings the number of passages in the Torah to 275 ra'ah. In the merit, those three letters were negated in the name Haro. Thus, the amazing partnership of Yitro and Moshe. So imagine, Yitro and Moshe should be on two opposite sides of the table. One is Kayan, one's Hevel. But they come together... Moshe brings the 80. The merit of Yitro brings the 275. And between the 80 and the 275, together, they nullify the power of Paro and the Klipa of Paro, which is 355, which is the Gematria of his name. So by assigning Moshe the task of taking B'nai Israel out of Egypt, 
he arranges for Moshe to flee to Midian. In Midian, he rescues the daughters of Yitro from the other shepherds. As a result of this act, he's invited to come to the house of Yitro. And at the house of Yitro, he's given Sipporah. <coughs> Clearly, the entire scenario was set in motion so that Yitro would ultimately advise his son-in-law to appoint officers of the thousands so that he would not bear the burden of leadership alone. Thus, a perashah would be added to the Torah, bringing the total number of parashiyot <coughs> to 275 ra'ah. In this manner, Yitro and Moshe together nullify the power of Paroah. We learn in the Gemara, three participated in the advice, Bil'am, Iyov, and Yitro. Bil'am was killed, Iyov remained silent, Yitro who fled, has his children, like we mentioned, sitting in the... In the uh, the uh, Sanhedrin. So going further, we see that the Perashah says, You shall set, you're going to appoint men for the entire people, God-fearing men, men of truth, people who despise money, and you're going to appoint Sare Me'ot, Sare Me'ot, Sare Chamishim, oh, Sare Alafim, it's uh, thousands, Sare Me'ot, hundred, Sare Chamishim, 50, sare, asaro, tens. What do we need? Tens, fifties, hundred, thousand. He explains this based on the Tikkuneh Zohar. And this is the rationale, he says, why every night we begin the prayer of Arvit with the words, He, the merciful one, pardons iniquity, does not destroy. He frequently withdraws his anger, does not arouse all of his rage. This pasuk is named, is aimed at nullifying the four kilipot, the four dark, the four forces of the dark side, which are called Avon, Mashchit, Af, and Chema. These are the four, so to say, angels, if you're going to say, of the dark side. Okay, Avon, Mashchit, we say the Mashchit is the destroyer. Af is anger, Chema is another type of anger. Rav Shimshon explains the different kind. So Rav Shimshon explains that prior to converting, due to his dedication to Avodah Zarah, Yitro was intimately connected with these four klipots. He says, therefore, to rectify this situation, he advised Moshe to appoint for Yisrael Rashi Alafim, Me'ot, Chamishim, and Asarot. Now the letters of these four categories are the same as Af. Af is Elef. Mashrit is Mea. Chema is Chamishim. And Avon is Asara. So, so what was Yitro really telling him by appointing these people? By doing justice, Yitro is showing Moshe how you destroy the Klipot. He was giving him an answer of how the Klipot are destroyed. Huh? No, no. Avon, Ayin, Vav, Nun, Asara, Ayin. The first letter of each one. Avon, Asara is ten. Avon is sin. Ayin, Ayin. The first letter, the first letter. Following this path, we explain why Yitro merited adding a perashat to the Torah aimed at combating, at combating these four klipot. We will refer to the insight of the Eretz Chaim. He says, 
the reason Hashem commanded us to offer four types of korbanot in the Ben Hamikdash. What are the four types of korbanot? A chatat, asham, ola, and mincha. Again, same letters. The same letters, because the sacrifices go against the forces of the dark side, which are chema, af, avon, mashrit. If you really think of that, and if you start to look up mashrit and, and af, it's really scary stuff when you see what, what it is. Relying on the premise, the explanation for what the Gemara is saying, Amar Rish Lakish, Rish Lakish is saying, Ma zot Torah? Why does it say this is the Torah? Le'olah, le'mincha, u'chatat v'le'asham. Kol ha'osek ba'torah, anyone who toils in Torah. Ki'ilu he grieve, it's as if he brought olah mincha chatat ve'asham. He brought these four different sacrifices. Amar Rava, hai le'olah le'mincha, olah mincha. So, so he says, what, why Rava says the phrase of the olah of the mincha should be simply olah mincha. Instead, Rava explains, Whoever engages in the study of Torah requires neither an olah, a mincha, a chatat, or a asham. He says that the study of Torah replaces these four categories of korbanot. goes further, he says, the main way to abolish the klipot, the, the forces of the dark side, is through the study of the Torah. As we learn in the Gemara Kiddushin, barati yetzer hara, I created the evil inclination, ubarati lo, Torah, and I created the Torah Tavlin as an antidote. Ve'im atem oskim Torah. If you toil in the Torah, en atem nimsarim beyado, you will not fall into his hands. This clarifies the statement of Rav Shlakich: Whoever engages in the study of Torah is considered as if he offered these four sacrifices: mincha, chatat, asham. He says, he says, en olah. He says, these four specifically go against the four klipot, and that's why whoever studies them is able to abolish the four klipot. There's also an implication in Rabbah's statement, whoever engages in the study of Torah requires neither an olah, mincha, chatat, nasham. says, if one studies, he no longer needs to bring these four korbanot to subdue the four klipot because his study has subdued the klipot on its own. Study of Torah or specifically? Study of Torah. Of Torah. He says of Torah, not bringing specific. The gematria of Zot HaTorah, this is the Torah, is equal to the four names of these forces. Avon, Mashrit, Af, Chema. The word is exactly the same. So basically, Yitro really contributed our entire system. Yitro is so it, it seems to me and the offering so, so my, my my original premise when I suggested you know in the original in the speech part was Yitro is, is makes us remember that we have to be responsible to negate evil. He's still willing to come into Kahal Yisrael even though there's an Amalek against it. It seems according to the Zohar that Yitro's actions actually negate evil, and it's based on him. And it seems, it seems proper that the negating of evil should come from Cain, who's affected by? Well, he started it. The Nachash. So the Sitra Achra, the evil force, is called Ra'ah. This is evident from the Zohar Kadosh, where it says, Praiseworthy is the man who always fears, but he who is stubborn of heart will fall into Yipol Be'ra'ah. 
He falls into Ra'a. He falls into the dark side. In other words, a person should fear and revere God at all times, but if he's reluctant to do so, he hardens his heart, he becomes a victim of Ra'a. We could rejoice shedding light onto the Perasha. He says, we learned from Rav Shimshon, the leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens were intended to nullify the four leaders of the Klipot. In addition, we have the number of Parshiyot 275 related to Ra'a. They counteract the star named Ra'a, that is the omen for death, for blood and death. Therefore, through this parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu was provided with a tactic to, pro- to combat the four leading klipot and cause of death and destruction in the world. So continuing based on what Rashi says. Rashi says, Vayishma Yitro. He heard Kriyat Yamsuf, the war of Amalek. We see that after Aharon HaKohen dies, right? What happens? It says, Vayishma Knani, Melech Arad, Yoshev HaNegev, the Kenanai king of Arad, who lives in the south, he heard, Ki Yisrael Derech, that Israel came from the, uh, from the, what's it called? From the, uh, the route, right? Vayilachem Israel, he fights against Israel, and it says that, he captured a captive from Bnei Israel. The rabbis say, who is this king of Arad? The Gemara there says, Rashi says, this is Amalek. What did Amalek do? They dressed up in different clothes. So that if you pray to Hashem, you're going to pray to the Hashem to save us from the Kedanim. Meanwhile, who are they really? Amalek. And they're going to win. He says, the Klipav Amalek and the king of Arad are one of the same. The Agra de Kala points out that the Gematria of Arad is 274. The Gematria of Rachel and Le'a is 274. Implying that the Klipa of Amalek opposes Rachel and Le'a. As we know, Rachel and Le'a are the Imahot, the mothers, the matriarchs of B'nai Israel, who established the house of Israel. We know that Boaz turns to Ruth and tells Ruth, and we say it also to the bride, Yiten Hashem et ha'isha ba'a el betecha, we should, we should, the, Hashem should give the woman who comes to your house, like Rachel and Le'ah, who built between the two of them, the house of Israel. Therefore, Amalek, who opposes the Kedushah of Israel, is called the king of Arad, since Arad equals Rachel and Le'ah. Amalek is called the king of Arad. In the passage chronicling the battle with Amalek, it says, Umoshe Aharon Vechur. Alu Rosh Hagivah. Moshe, Aharon, and Hur ascend to the top of the hill. If we think, in Likutei Shoshanim, he writes, notice the first letters of each of their names. Moshe, Aharon, Hur. They negate the power of Mashrit, Af, and Chema. The, the question is, but what about Avon? What about that one? Because Moshe eliminated the klipah by raising his hands, inspiring Bnei Israel to teshuvah. And it says, When Moshe would raise his hands, when he lowered them, they would fall. When he raised them, they were stronger. The Mishnah goes further and says, Do the hands of Moshe really win or lose a battle? Rather, the Torah is telling you that as long as Bnei Israel looked up Someone mentioned last week that the, the problem was they looked up at the Mitzrim instead of looking up to Hashem. 
So, so they look up to the hands of Moshe, they should looking up to God, that's when they prevail. It says, Rashid Goyim Amalek. Amalek is the first of the nations. This teaches us that Amalek is the source of all the klipot. It has the capacity to invoke against B'nai Israel the four klipot. Avon, Mashrit, Af, and Chema. That's why it was necessary for Moshe, Aharon, and Chur to ascend with the Kedushah to abolish these four klipot. It appears that is why Amalek is referred to as the king of Arad. It says, this is true before Yitro counseled Moshe and added this perasha. Because at that time, there was only 274. And 274 was going against Arad, which is Amalek. It says, once Yitro comes and he gives counsel and the addition of this perasha, advising Moshe to appoint the officers of Alafim, Me'or, Chamishim, and Asarot. He says, what happens? Yitro gives the advice that through these judges, they're going to nullify the four klipot. Amalek is represented by the king of Arad. He could no longer summon those four klipot to wreak havoc on B'nai Israel. Thus it turns out that since the addition of Yitro's passage to the Torah, the Torah has 275 parshiot, which have the capacity to eliminate the klipa of Amalek, the king of Arad, which is 274. He says, as long as there were only 274 parshiot in the Torah, Amalek had power and control. However, when B'nai Israel dedicated the Torah, they overpower Amalek. So the reason you can't destroy Amalek until you could destroy Amalek is because Amalek is representing Esav. And the power of Esav and B'nai Israel is always the seesaw. When we're up, they're down. When we're down, they're up. If you think also the word Vayishma, Vayishma, he heard. Vayishma what? He heard about when they crossed the sea and he heard they were attacked by Amalek. When you cross the sea, you're attacked by Amalek. Who else crossed the river and was attacked after he crossed the river? Yaakov. He crosses the Yabok and who attacks him? The angel of Amalek. The word Vayishma is Yam Esav. Yam, the sea, Esav. When you cross the sea, who attacks you? Esav. When you cross the, the Kriyad Yamsuf, who attacks you? The descendants of Esav, which are Amalek. Rashi's comment, he says, what did Yitra hear about? Kriyat Yamsuf, the war with Amalek. Rashi's asking, what caused Yitra to come and add a parashah to the Torah? Rashi answers that he heard about the incredible miracle of Yamsuf. Yet, he says, Amalek still had the audacity to attack B'nai Israel. So he says, Yitra concluded that the king of Arad possessed the power to reign and overpower B'nai Israel so long as there were only 274 parashiyot. Therefore, what does Yitro do? He comes and he adds one parashat to the Torah to increase it to 275 to give B'nai Israel the power to overcome Amalek. So now you look at Yitro in this whole different vein. You look at the whole thing in a whole different vein. You look at everything as an ability to overcome the really the negativity. The negativity of the dark side of this Af Chemah. And, and again, like I say, if you start to read and see what they say about Af, the Gemara talks about Af as a destructive force, Chemah as a destructive force. You see that the ability to overcome them is how? Is how? Through judging the people. So by being honest, by being, so to say, uh, 
a person who's yashar, who does the right thing, you overcome the dark side because you have the judges of the thousands, the hundreds, the fifties, and the twenties. He says, what's the other way? Through the learning of Torah. Because the 275 paragraphs of the Torah overcome the 275, the power of paro or ra'a. So he says, if the negativity still exists, so, so it's just, Victor still writes, he says that, do any of the gods of, of Egypt still have power? And he goes into this, and you could read this, but it's a little heavy. And uh, I'll send it out if anybody wants to go through it. But he says, there are six, there are six deities of Egypt. The six are the ministering angel called Sar Mitzrayim, the Nile River or Nilos, the lamb or the ram, the Tala, the deity of the north called Baal Sephon, the general male force of the negativity known as Samachmem, Sam, whatever, we don't want to say. Though not specific deity of Egypt, the Zohar notes that he joined with the forces of Egypt to prevent B'nai Israel from leaving. And the main one was the sun deity of Egypt called Ra. So he goes through a whole thing of how B'nai Israel overcome through the plagues each and each and each, but which one is still existing and what we still need to do to overcome. So go back, my original thing was that <coughs> if it's only good to be a Jew and everything's nice and happy, you can't accept a convert, Yitro sees it's not only that. But the Zohar says no, Yitro is on such an... I'm not even sure that... I said that, that, that the, the initial that I said was that he hears about the splitting of the sea and midah kenege midah, and wow, how wonderful... But you really wouldn't accept a convert in that time because it's a time like David, like Shlomo HaMelech. If everything is great, you don't accept a convert. But he, he see, but you see, the negative is that Amalek is still willing to attack even with all of that. And he accepts that, and that's why we accept him, because we know we have to overcome the evil. But here you're seeing on a much higher level, yet that Yitro's actions on a very high spiritual level are overcoming the negative forces in the world. And in order to break a nation, you have to break the God of the nation before you can break the nation itself. And if the God of the nation is Ra, is the sun God, you would have to be able to break Ra in order to. How do you break Ra? Through the 275 paragraphs of the Torah or through judging in a positive way. So it shows really so much that our actions have so much power to negate negativity. Negating negativity is never going to come from above to below. It's always going to come from below to above, and each of us has that job to do.